All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to start a new book tonight. Before I forget, uh, we're having a, a picnic after the church Sunday at the river down on the fork, and we'll have a baptism as well. So uh, we need you to bring a dish, a dessert, or both. If you want to check with me and see what I like, I'll let you know. <laughs> if you feel a hook in that, that was a hook, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and if you're not tough enough to sit on the ground, you need to bring a lawn chair. <laughs> or, if you, yeah, you need to bring a chair where you can have you somewhere to sit. It's really great down there. It's a nice place. We've got, I think, a few to be baptized. So it's a good spot for us. We thank God for that. <laughs> and uh, it's just a good opportunity for us to get to know other people and, and have some good fellowship and some food, of course. Jesus was, uh, he had some dinner on the ground from time to time, so. All right, uh, we're going to start a new book tonight. We're going to do a lot of, <clears throat> some background work here first. Uh, I love the book of Job. And uh, we can all learn a lot from that. And if you ever get to feeling sorry for yourself, just turn on the book of Job. <laughs> it'll, help, help keep, it'll help you keep from feeling sorry for yourself. He had uh, a lot of things to face and... Uh, He's on a list with God that most of us in the flesh, we wouldn't want to be on. You want God to point you out and say, you can take a shot at him <laughs> uh, to the devil. So we'll get into that later. But let's uh, pray and then uh, I'll give you some uh, background on this book. And we'll talk about a few things with that and then we'll get into the scripture. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We don't deserve everything you've given us. None of us. You have shown your compassion and mercy. Uh, we're just thankful, Lord, that you've offered us a way of escape out of our dilemma, being born in the flesh and on our way to eternity without you. And you stepped in and offered us a way out. And we're thankful for that, Lord. I praise you that uh, you've not left us to ourselves, but you have shown up in the power of your Son and the Holy Spirit and offered us a way out. So God, I thank you for that, and I thank you for this book and how it helps us keep things into perspective. You said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. And we give you praise for that, Lord. We know that suffering does things in us uh, that brings us in a place where you can use us and, uh, and get things out of us. Uh, and so we're just thankful, Lord, that you've left us enough examples so that we can glean from that and not get discouraged when we face battles ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So Job was probably in and around the time of Abraham, maybe a little before, maybe the same time, maybe some of all that, before, same time, maybe a little after. Uh, and Job is the oldest written book in the Bible. Now, it's not the oldest material in the Bible because Moses was given that material I'm sure through things that were handed down from God himself. And I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Now that we know that the, the Jewish people most likely had an alphabet before the people that got credit for it. Uh, because God took his finger and wrote on the tablets. So God knew how to spell. He's the one that created language. So it makes sense that the people that interacted with God had some ability 
uh, in writing and understanding language because they were the ones getting interaction from God. Let me take you back behind Abraham uh, and actually back behind Jacob mainly, but all the way back through there. There were people from Adam or Adam all the way to Abraham and there were no Jews. There, they did not exist. The Jews came about through Abraham and through his offspring. That's when God created this new race, if you want to call it. It really wasn't a new race. They already existed. Abraham was a Gentile for a large part of his life until God gave him the seal of circumcision and separated him. So that's a picture of, of a Christian in the Old Testament being given God's seal. Paul talks about us being circumcised in the heart and being separated unto the Lord. So that's what happened with Abraham. Abraham became a Jew. He was a Gentile for a large portion of his life. He was from the land of Chaldea. But what you need to know is from Adam all the way down till that race was created or formed, might be a better way to say that, uh, then God was still had people, right? Noah, uh, Enoch, and Methuselah, and Job here. He had men and women, peoples who looked to him, who believed in him, who were a part of his plan. It was just when Abraham was brought out and stepped out by faith, God kind of formed this new group of people whom we now call the Israelites or the Jews. And that was the line through which his son would come through. Now, if you go to Luke, you'll find the lineage of Jesus run all the way back to Adam, right? If you go in Matthew, it's run all the way back to Abraham. But if you go to Luke, Jesus' lineage does go all the way back to Adam, right? But for God's plan and purposes to show His glory and to show us a picture of what He desired, He separated this group of people and they became known as the Jews. He gave them that land and so here we are. They were booted out of that land for two days or 2,000 years. Now they're back home and that was the biggest sign and that's why this hourglass is here to remind us how close we are to the end of time because of that that reason primarily. There are a bunch of other uh, things that go on like the, the earthquakes and the things that Jesus told us about lawlessness and the waves roaring. Like with her. All those things were signs, but the biggest signs that we can put our finger on are Israel going back home in 1948 and then Jerusalem going back under the control of the Jews in 1967 during the Six-Day War. And that was the thing that Jesus hinged his end of time th talk or uh, teaching on was when that happens, when Jerusalem is no longer controlled by the Gentiles, Jesus said, while he was here on earth, he said, know that this generation won't pass till everything's done. So here we sit. We just got through the book of Revelation. We're sitting on a time where we should be excited. I know there's some level of I don't want to call it despair, but some level maybe of anxiousness, and we're not supposed to do that either. Uh, concern may be the right word, because we all know people that if the Lord came today, they wouldn't be ready. We all know people like that. 
So that is a genuine concern, but God has a plan and a purpose. And know this, that God cares more about anybody you think you care about, and we do care about people, way more than you do. He loves them more than you do. So he, I just heard a story that I might share with you later on, that he exhausts himself to bring people to salvation. He said it's not his will that any would perish but that all would come under repentance. That's God's plan for us. So Job is the oldest book in the Bible, not the oldest material. Now, the critics always try to discount the Bible. We know who's behind that. Satan, that's why he's worked so hard to destroy Genesis 1 through 11 because the whole fabric of society basically is built out of Genesis 1 through 11. And that's why I am encouraged by what we have here in Kentucky with Ken Ham and his expertise in all those fields of, excuse me, taking a stand for that. So that's beautiful to see. But Job's another book that the critics try to discount and, uh, and say it was way later than what we say and all that. But all that was put to rest when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found because there were parts of Job found in the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. So we know that Job was written way back and uh, there's more evidence now of his position and his time frame because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other findings. He was from Uz, not Oz. He was from the land of Uz, and it's in Syria. And Uz was responsible, the people of, of Uz was responsible for building Damascus. Now, Damascus, according to Josephus, I mean, have you heard of Josephus? He's the most widely respected historian of Jesus' day. And you can get his writings. I have two or three copies of them. But you can get his stuff and learn the history. He's the most respected. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the Jews of antiquity and all the things that was handed down. And he's the one that tells us that the people where Job were from, that they were responsible for building Damascus. And Damascus, according, uh, according to Josephus, and we know that Damascus is believed to be the oldest city in the world. And it's still up and running today. Uh, so Job was in that area where uh, early civilization started in Sumire. Sumire is a place where they ha also had some idea about a man who went through all trouble. They had a story about that there. This is where original civilization began, they believe, where the Garden of Eden was in that region in southern Mesopotamia, south-central Iraq, between the Tigris and Euphrates River. So Job is from that region. And uh, he, the second place that also had a story about uh, a man who went through a lot of suffering was also Babylon. Uh, they had a story. And then another one, and this one is the closest, most closely related to the biblical one is the one that they have in Egypt, which would make sense because you have the children of Israel down in Egypt. And Israel, even though Job does not have any of the tenets of the Israeli faith and the law and Moses, all that, because he was before all that, he was still brought into the canon by God. His book was placed here, the oldest writing that we have. Not the, again, not the oldest material. The oldest material is about Adam and Eve. Uh, but he, and God gave Moses that, so he, he, he got it from the source. 
So here we have a guy who has is, is clearly been vindicated that he's existed. We have stories. It's much like the story of the flood. There's stories of the flood. They're, they vary from the scripture because they've not been watched over by God and they've been tainted with man. But if God's big enough to create the world and create us and save, save us and send his son to die in our place and resurrect him, then he's big enough to watch over this. Amen. So he's done that, and here we sit with this book from this guy who wasn't a Jew, but he was a God-man. And the Jew don't give you any special favor with God in the sense of God is willing. He loves everybody. He, wants, he, he called these people out to represent him. They lost their way over time, much like what most of the church has done. You know, so that, I mean, we've done the same thing. If you go, go through the stages like we did a few months ago starting Revelation... And you, you see those churches from three different perspectives. You see them as churches have those same problems or, or they're blessed, like Philadelphia, the church. Then you can look at them individually and say, now, my life, which church do I represent with my, the kind of life I live? And then you can see them as church ages, stages in the church. And the last stage is Laodicea, where people get caught up in the world. They get caught up in wealth. And, and pleasure, and, they, and they, they think they can see, they think everything's okay, but they're blind, the Bible says, because they got blinded with the deceitfulness of riches and things in this world. And that was the caution Jesus gave us. He said, do not be caught off guard and get caught up in the cares of this life. Now, Job was a fantastic man, but he was, he's getting ready to face some trouble. So this... Egyptian account kind of gives more credibility even to the Bible because we know the Jews were down there for a season. Uh, Job's, as I told you before, parts of his book was found uh, inside of the, the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were at. The book of Job existed outside of Israel, at least parts of it, uh, before Israel became a nation. So here's what most of them think happened. You got to remember, Job was a very rich man. And actually, when he gets on the other side of his trial, he was richer than he was before, right? He had twice as much. So Job very well could have had somebody pin this down for him, chisel it down, whatever they did. Uh, but he could have been a part of that. He could have maybe done it himself. Most likely, he probably hired it done. Uh, and so God, this was God's man, just like Adam and Enoch and Noah, even though the children of Israel didn't exist at that time. And so God's always had people who have trusted in him. Amen. Now, let me take you, before we start in chapter uh, one here, let me take you to chapter 19 and let's uh, let me show you something uh, Job said in chapter 19. Let's look at verse 23 of chapter 19. This was his desire. So this was fulfilled. He said in verse 23, he said, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock. With an iron pen and lead forever. So maybe both of those things happen. 
that was his desire. If anybody was well off enough to make that happen, it would have been Job. Uh, and so how all these things got handed down, we're not sure about that. But we know that his prayer was answered there in chapter 19. That God did allow this to be preserved and pinned down. However it was pinned down. And Job could have done it. He could have had somebody do it for him. The Israelites could have compiled it. Because they were given uh, insight into, the, into words and letters. Because God interacted with them long before the people that got credit for the alphabet. They now know that the Israelites were dealing with that before the people that got credit for it. So uh, it's interesting how little things keep coming out to prove God's in charge. Don't you, you, you know that? Uh, that we, how many of you have been praying for rain besides me and my wife? We got up this morning pretty excited because we thought. But if you looked on the calendar like early this week or late last week, they said rain probably wouldn't have it for two weeks. And then God gave us a really nice soaking rain. Can we give the Lord a little hand clap for that? Amen. Uh, but if you think about the weather, that's really the biggest place, and there are other places, where God lets us know who's still in charge, right? There's not a thing we can do about it, right? We can't stop the rain. We can't bring the rain. We have to ask Him for it. Uh, we, we just know uh, he, He's in charge. That should tell the world, hey, you can't control the snow. You can't control the rain, the flood, the hurricane. We can't do anything with that. And it's arrogance for these people who think they can. It's the height of arrogance to think that people can control the weather. Because that's the one place that God keeps us in our place. By saying, and you'll see that with Job. He asked Job a few questions about that later on. He says, what about the snow? Where were you when the, the mountain goat was giving birth to its young? That's another good reason to read the book of Job. It keeps us humble, keeps us in our place. We start getting too big for our britches, right? We can remember that we didn't make ourselves. And we don't bless ourselves. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights. So we need to remember that. I'm getting amen from a car out there, it sounds like. And so let's go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 14. We'll hold our spot there in Job. We're going to see another place here where the Bible speaks about Job. In Ezekiel 14, let's look at uh, verse 12. Uh, this is how high Job is on God's list. In Ezekiel 14 verse 12, it says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying... Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness. Would that describe America? Are we persistently unfaithful to the Lord? Sure we are. We just keep writing laws against His Word. We just keep blowing Him off. Church is at an all-time low for attendance. Now, I know we're blessed here. But as a group, it's at an all-time low. And uh, uh, we just keep just disregarding God. We've took the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses, out of our schools, off the public square. 
you just go on and on and on. We just keep proving how unfaithful we are. Now, the arrogance that's behind that is we, we act like we got this country on our own. God's the one that gave us all the blessings we have. So he says this. He says, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Now, that's a strong word for nations and countries or peoples that continue to persistently be unfaithful toward God. You can see that in an individual's life, right? You can see as people become, lose their way and become unfaithful toward God, these trouble begins to set in. And then he says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the land, basically, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. In other words, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be the covering for anybody else. They'd deliver themselves. You remember when God showed up to blow up Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> showed up to town. What are you going to do? Abraham's out there. What are you going to do, God? I'm going to blow up Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, Abraham knew how merciful God was, right? And he was called God's friend, so he was in with God. He said, what if you find 50 down there? Remember that? And he worked his way, was it down to 10 or 5? Was it 10? So he worked his way all the way down to 10 and couldn't find them. So he brought Lot out and then blowed Blowed the place up, which you all have probably read and seen where they found the evidence of all that too. I, I think in these last days we just keep seeing like the chariot wheels on the bottom of the Red Sea. We just keep seeing things where God is just showing the world, hey, this is still my show. I still own everything. You're under my authority and my jurisdiction and you're all going to have to answer to me someday. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? But he says here, it doesn't matter if these guys were in there. The point I want to make here, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do with this, but the point I want to make here is how high up on the list Job is. I mean, he's up there with Noah and Daniel. Right? I mean, that's a pretty high bar. Now let's go to James chapter 5, and let's uh, one more place where the Bible talks about Job. And this is interesting because you all, this is one of my favorite words in the whole Bible, and it's used about Job. Now, uh, write this word on here so you can remember it. It's the word hupomene. And, and I use this word a lot. And in this word, there are four parts. This word in the, in the English will be translated uh, with four different words, mostly patience, endurance, Endurance, faithful, and I and I stumbled on another one that I hadn't remembered uh, or used. Um, this word is also used in this way: continuance. Uh, and all of these words together make up what you've heard me say many times. The main meaning of this, with all those being a part of it. Is consistency. Right? So if you're going to be consistent, you have to be patient, right? Or you can't be, you'll get frustrated. 
You have to be willing to endure. You have to continue. And you have to be faithful. All of these words that we are true about hupomene, but they all lead us to this main meaning. You got, it's consistency. And I love to share this with people because nobody in this building can be perfect. Only one could be perfect. His name's Jesus. But we can all be consistent. And so what we need to do is look in the mirror and say, be real with yourself. Forget the preacher. Forget all the religious folks. Forget everybody else that would give you excuses. How many found this out? If you want an excuse, the devil, he'll hand you off one. If you want an excuse, he'll give you one. That's how he works. Forget about everybody. Just look in the mirror. Be real with yourself as you brush your teeth and say, is the person I'm looking at consistent with God? I do that. You know, do you spend time with him? Do you come to his house? Do you honor him with your time, your money, whatever it is? Are you consistent with God? That's a real simple question that we all need to ask. Now, in James chapter 5, let's go to verse 12, 10, I'm sorry, verse 10, and it says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. There's that word. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and, and seen the, the intended by, end of, by the Lord, for he, the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So he brings Job up when he's using in the context of Hupomene here. Job was a consistent man. Think about that. Would you and I have been consistent if we would have lost 10 children in one accident? If they kept coming in one or after the, the Bible said before one could stop speaking and another one would show up giving him bad news. His wife turned against him. You'll see all that as we go through here. We'll learn a lot of lessons. But the Bible, this is a powerful New Testament word, hupomene, because it is a, it's a powerful word that God's looking for in all of us. And it uses, us about, it uses this word about an Old Testament guy who did not have the Bible, or anything that we have. he ha Well, I shouldn't say anything, but a lot of things we have, like the fullness of the Holy Spirit and Acts coming down, the, word of God, the full Word of God at our disposal, the church, Jesus has come and been... I mean, all those things, none of that had been put in place for Job, and yet he was still a hupomene, consistent man with God, no matter what he went through. And I say this from time to time. I want to encourage everybody with this. Uh, you're never disqualified unless you quit. That's how you get disqualified. So don't quit. Uh, somebody's had it worse than you. Remind yourself of that. In fact, if we plot all of our trouble up here tonight together, those that are here and those that are watching us tonight, if we piled it all up here in the middle of this room... What we've all got going on trouble-wise wouldn't compare to what Job went through in less than 24 hours. So, the, one of the worst things we can do, and I, I, I say this in love because we've all battled it, none of us are exempt, is get to feeling sorry for ourselves. 
That is an open door for the enemy to start coming in. And yeah, God's done you wrong. You know, feeling like you've been slighted. Like you've not been treated fair. I got news for you. That's, that's how you... <laughs> if you're looking for the world to treat you fair, you're in the wrong... You might as well move to Mars. <laughs> but isn't that how this whole mess got started? There Eve was in the garden. And basically, the devil shows up. And he says to Eve, he says, um, Eve, this tree. And she said, oh, how, what can you eat of? He says, well, everything but this one tree here. And he says, well... You know, he basically says, God don't want you to do that because he knows when you do that, you're going to be like him. Now, remember this. The devil wants to fulfill his desires through you and I. That was his problem. Remember, he wanted to be like the Most High. That, he was trying to feed that lust in him through Eve. And he got her to buy into it, right? Basically, what he did with Eve was he was basically sold her a bill of goods that, hey, God's holding out on you. Right? He's not letting you ascend and be all you can be right and that isn't that how the devil works on all of us look you've been here this long and and, and look you're still battling god ain't really treating you fair he's not you're not getting a fair shake and that's how the devil tries to work on all of us he said to Eve, and Eve bought it right and evidently adam came along and bought it too and they that's how this whole mess got kicked into gear because the devil sold Eve a bill of goods saying, basically, the Lord's holding out on you. He's not letting you be all you can be. And if he wouldn't hold back on it. You've heard me say this, and this is a hard word. I understand that, but I'll say it nice. Uh, you cannot say God's in control of your life and then look over there and blame somebody else and say, I could go further if it wasn't for them. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. You mean to tell me that person over there, whoever that person is, is stronger than the God you just professed that's in control of your life? You can't have it both ways. Either God's in charge or that person over there is in charge of your life. Now, I do know people that are controlled by people who are in the grave. They, because of unforgiveness or something, their life is still manipulated by someone who's not even alive. That's sad. It's a sad state. But either God's in control of your life, Satan's in control of your life, you're in control, but it, you can't have it both ways. You can't say God's in charge of my life and then try to blame something not going your way on somebody else. We're going to see how God works in our lives through this book and takes tough times and does things inside of us and uses us for His glory. Remember that psalm, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. You're not going to go through this life without facing trouble. You have an adversary, and God has allowed the system to be set up that way. Now, anybody ever heard of the word theodicy? It's a big word. It's not a very big word, but it's a hard word to say. Theodicy is a, a teaching or a, uh, about... The vindication, and I'll just give you the definition, then I'll give you like a little thing to help us understand it. It's the vindication of divine attributes, particularly holiness and justice, in establishing and allowing the existence of physical and moral law. In other words, that it gives way that evil 
is in those confines and God is vindicated through his holiness and justice even though evil exists. And let me put it to you this way. Why would a perfect, good, almighty, all-knowing God permit evil? Now, I didn't make, that doesn't make him responsible for it, right? But why would he permit it? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer that for you to some degree. Uh, it comes back to relationship. Relationship can only be born and is only valuable when there's a choice, right? You choose to have a friendship or relationship. We choose. If God, and God gave us a will, and you've heard me say this a lot, God gave us a will. Two things can only be born by having a will, and that is trust and sin, we could neither trust nor sin if we didn't have a will. We'd be a robot. Now, God wanted a relationship so much with us. That's what He desired. That He gave us this will, risking that when we used our will to make a choice, that we would choose sin rather than trust in Him. And for the most part, that's the majority has done that. Uh, many are, are going to hell, Jesus said, and few are going to heaven. It's a choice. We have a choice to make. Because we were given a will, now we can make a choice. If you and I did not have a will, we couldn't make that choice. We would be merely robots. But God, so for God to be God, I'll show you something here. For God to be God means He exists internally. In other words, God needs nothing outside of Himself to exist. That can't be said of any other being. So when, when I come to God, I don't add anything to God. He said, you come like a little child, right? And he was so serious about that. He said, if you don't come like a little child, you're not getting in the kingdom. So it's just like a, that. the reason that comparison is made to us is because when a newborn baby comes into a family, it cannot do anything but cause trouble. Right? They cry at the wrong time. They get diapers at the wrong time. Who needs a diaper in the middle of dinner? Who wants to stop eating a nice meal and go change a diaper? They manipulate because they find out early on that if I cry, they'll be all in here. Right? They learn how to go. And, and I'm, I'm teasing when I say this, but go up to somebody with a new baby and say, Oh, what a pretty little sinner you got. <laughs> But they don't add anything, right? When they're two days old, they can't cut the grass. They can't wash dishes. What do they do for us? They bring us pleasure. We love that relationship. 
right? I do too. I love it. You love building that relationship. It's beautiful. Even though a family, a lot of things are alike, you still see that individual personality developing in each one of them. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. They can't do anything to help the family go around. Now, later on, that can change because we're... But initially, as they come into the family, they can't do anything except bring us pleasure. And notice how people act when they get a new baby. They talk funny. They act funny. They eat stuff out of them baby jars they would never eat before. Because... That relationship, right? That love they want. And I even heard tell, and it's a good thing we're not having a meal right now, but back when my grandmother and some of those days when they didn't have some of the modern, they would get the drainage out of a baby's nose with their own mouth. Some of you probably remember that, don't you? That's love, ain't it? That's love when you do that. You got to do whatever you got to do, right? Back in the day. So, as we, we don't, you and I don't add anything to God by way of His power and His strength and His beauty. He's all God, whether we show up or not. So, what happens there? He's after that relationship. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? That He don't need anything outside of Himself to exist, but He wants us. I mean, that's phenomenal. And so God gives us, He gives us this free will, knowing, risking, if I can say it that way, risking that most of the world would choose to sin rather than trust and build a relationship with Him. But that's how much He desired to get what ones would serve Him. And some of people have misinterpreted this parable, but that's what that parable is all about. When, when it's, it's talking about Jesus, he bought the whole field knowing he'd only get one precious stone out of it. That's about Jesus' life. He bought the whole world's sin with his life. He paid for the sins of everybody. It's not God's will that any would perish, knowing that he would only get a small pearl out of that field. The field is the world all through the Scripture. Jesus paid for the whole world's sins knowing he'd only get a small remnant out of that. Now that's love. Because if you did that from a business standpoint, it wouldn't be worth it. Right? If they said, hey, you're going to go... This is how businesses make decisions, right? They'd say, you can go over there and do that job and get a, a, a small profit, or you can take the same manpower and go over here and do this job and make ten times as much. What are they going to do? Going to go over here and make ten times as much. That's how that works. Well, God said, I desire a relationship. I want that baby coming home with me. Even though it don't add anything, I want that relationship. And I just think it's so mind-blowing that the God of the universe would want to hang out with you and me. Now, so this, this is part of our dilemma we're going to look at as we go through here. There's an evil that exists in this world that God allows. And that evil has, it is like the dividing line. We choose between 
serving God and being a part of his family or doing our own thing and resisting his will. And let me tell you something. God wants everybody saved. I've quoted Peter to you. This will be the third time in this session. It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come unto repentance. This just happened. I found this out yesterday. I'm going to leave it as nameless as I can because I know I'm public. A friend of mine who works on computers got a call from another man who was very high in that, the place where he lives, high up the food chain, well respected. This has happened not too far ago, not too long back. And so my friend is really good at what he does. So he, he goes into this guy's home and is going to work, fix his computer. And the guy is never had nothing to do with the Lord. He's high. He has a good, big standing in the community. So my friend starts telling him about Jesus. And he basically shuts him down. Says, I don't want to hear none of that blank, blank, blank stuff. Just fix my computer. So he went back. So he gets a call back a couple of days later. And the guy needs something else done. So he goes in to do that. And uh, he, he felt like it was his chance to tell him about Jesus again. So he tried it again. Same response. Blank, blank, don't start that. Just fix my computer and get out. <clears throat> so finally, the third trip. This happens between seven and ten days this goes on. Something else he needed done. And so this time he said, I'm going to try it again. <laughs> So he tries to tell him about Jesus. Now this is a wealthy guy, a high standing guy in the realm of the community. And he's mad at him because he still tries to tell him about Jesus. And he said, what is going on? He said, well, I am supposed to tell you about Jesus. And if you'd let me tell you about Jesus, I probably wouldn't have to come back. (laughs) He rejected him for the third time. Two days later, he died. Now, I'm proud of my friend for being in tune with the Holy Spirit. But what blew my mind about that and really got me here was that God cared enough about a guy who didn't give a hoot about him to go after him three times ten days before he died. Now, if that ain't love, we don't have no idea what love is. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. We all understand that. But how, and that's why I'm saying to you, the people you and I love that we want to see in heaven, God, do your part. Do your part. Answer the call like my buddy did. Do, answer the call. If God puts you somewhere, share the gospel. Witness to them because you may be the last voice they hear. 
But how merciful, how long-suffering, how full of love it was God to send the guy that wouldn't in this guy's circle, the most unlikely guy. And God basically begged this guy to turn to him, and he refused. So God loves everybody we love exponentially more than you and I do. We, we don't have the same capacity to love the way He loves. We're growing in that and we're moving forward in that. But that's how much God loves us. That's how much He's after us. So, notice we live in a world that's marred with sin because of what happened in the garden. Now, before I start the book of Job, we'll get a few verses in, just here a couple maybe. Uh, We basically have started it. We're just trying to get to start through the verses. But I don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. Because I've seen enough out of my own life to know I would have blew it in the garden too. So I ain't mad at Adam and Eve. I'm not mad at them. What I'm thankful for is the last Adam. Jesus. He remedied all that for all of us who would believe. Job's a believer. And so it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Uh, This may be as far as we get. (laughs) The King, uh, the old King James will use the word eschewed. And I like that word. And I'm going to give you some definition to that word. To turn from. And this is a good word here in the New King James. To shun and to basically get out of the way in other words Job did not allow himself to be in places where he would give in remember was it David who wrote the psalm said I will set no no, yeah it might have been David who said I will set no evil thing before my eyes right he wouldn't put himself in that situation now let me take you to Romans chapter 6 and this is where we'll finish up tonight because this concept is a concept that I think can help all of us. And I've uh, used this concept before. But in Romans 6 and 12, this is basically, askewed means that Job had turned away from that life. He, you remember when I read from Hebrews, it said, uh, where it said we should be pilgrims and strangers. Remember me reading that last week? And, and it said if they had a mind to... Re- of that country, if they'd been mindful from where they came from, they would have returned. In other words, and I described that, what that meant in the Greek, it meant if they'd have kept it in mind as an option, right? Well, if this don't work out, then I'll go back to Egypt. Or if this Christian thing don't work out, then I'll go back and join the cult. See, that's not Christianity. Christianity is you turn away from that. Those things are no longer an option. And that's basically what the Bible's saying about Job here. He, he turned his back on that world. If, remember what Paul said in the New Testament? I put it in my own words. He said, the world is no longer any good for me, and I'm no longer any good for them. We're not compatible. We don't, we don't hang out. And, and Isaiah, when he talks about uh, 
the yoke being broken. And he goes on to talk about how that you don't, you, if you've been delivered by the Lord, you don't fit in anymore with the world. And, and the way this is described in the Hebrew is like, it's like somebody, and I know this is popular in the world today, why I don't know, but uh, it's like somebody with pants that are way too big for them trying to hold them up. <laughs> that's how that's described. And I, like, how uncomfortable and aggravating is that? Evidently, they found a way for it to be comfortable now. But I don't think it is. Have, have you all watched some people run across the street like this? I'm like, eh, eh, get a belt. They work. <laughs> but it's like, how uncomfortable would it be trying to hold your garden and hold your paints up at the same time? Right? How uncomfortable would it be at the bus stop or whatever? Or any kind of project you're trying to do. How uncomfortable would it be to gather eggs or plant the corn or wash the clothes or whatever. Do dishes, you know. All that stuff. That's, you, you don't fit in anymore. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't, I'm not any good for the world. They don't want me hanging out with them because don't, we don't, we're not compatible. So here in Romans 6 verse 12 it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. That's a word for all of us, right? And do not present. This is the word... I want to work with before I quit. This Greek word is parasteno. Uh, and that's the word we just translate present right here. He says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So this word here means the setting up of something. Okay, so in other words, Paul's saying don't set yourself up for failure in the flesh, but set yourself up for righteousness to do the right thing. So that works behind the scenes, right? That stuff has to go on before you. And, and as I've said before, we are not, we're not, caught, we're not reactors. We are sometimes, we all do that. That's the work of the flesh, letting some situation get in on us and crowd us, then reacting to it. But the Bible teaches us we're supposed to be actors. We act on God's Word, right? So we spend time in the Word. Let it play. If you, I understand everybody don't have the same amount of time to read the Bible, but there's so many ways to hear it, listen to it. And Bible, the Bible says faith comes by hearing the Word anyway. So you're doing yourself a favor by listening to the Word off your phone, off one of those little things we can get you here, whatever. We're called to act on God's Word, not react to the situation. We're not perfect at that, I understand. We, we all can get in the flesh and be reactors. But the way to avoid that is to parasteno. Uh, sometimes I try to write English and, and Greek at the same time. The way to avoid that is to set yourself up. Now, I set myself up by getting in the Word because my faith's increasing. I remind myself of God's laws and His ways, so it hedges me up. It's like bowling in a bowling alley with those little things in the gutter where your ball don't get in the gutter, right? You're setting those things up, spiritually speaking. All those kind of things are going on in your life because you're setting yourself up to succeed, right? So it's the setting up of that thing. This word present means set yourselves up to succeed spiritually, do not set yourself up for failure in the flesh. So whatever that means. It could mean 
different things to different people. One of my closest friends was an alcoholic when he got saved. He went to a store and got his lunch every day before he went to the mines. That store sold alcohol, so he quit going to that store and found him another store so he wouldn't see that every day and be tempted by that. That's parastano. That's smart. It's not the guy or the gal who thinks they can withstand anything that's smart. It's the person that sees where they're vulnerable and guards against it. That's how we're successful. So you, you, we make decisions. We present. We parastano. We set ourselves up to succeed. That's part of the beauty of a body coming to this church. Not just to hear the word. All that's, that's the main thing. You want to be under God's word, a seasoned word. But to get fellowship. To see other people doing the same thing you're doing. And to get, get, do you know how valuable it is if God speaks to you and says, go up to somebody and just encourage them? People need encouraged. They need, the Bible calls that exhorting. They need exhorted and encouraged. So we need to set ourselves. Now, what does that mean to you? I don't know. You'll know that. You and God know you better than anybody else. And God knows you better than you know yourself. So cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to help you structure your life so that you'll be successful at your Christian walk. Amen? Amen. We'll stop there. We've got a lot of background time tonight. Um, we have the, um, we have the, uh, the picnic this Sunday. Bring those dishes like we talked about earlier. We have uh, fellowship on Sundays at 9 if you want to come by for coffee and a donut. There's people can get to know each other. The work day for the ladies is uh, 16th, next Friday. We'll meet at the church at 6, 6 a.m. I'll be going over, too, and taking my vehicle and getting some food and stuff for a situation. But the church bus will run. So we'll run the church bus. Uh, that's not this Friday, but the following Friday. If you're going to be baptized, come ready to be baptized Sunday. Uh, and we'll do some baptisms at the uh, river. We had one baptized actually here last night, somebody that didn't live here but needed to be baptized. So we, that's why the water's in the baptistry today. So, uh, Also, the sign-up for the women's retreat is out front if you've got your plans for that. All right. If you brought a tithe or an offering, Brother Rob will be out in the foyer to receive that. Uh, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done and earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We'll have study in Exodus. Tomorrow.